Hey, so I got special bagels today because they're awesome. They look like Play-Doh, but you really can eat them, so you should eat some. And there's donuts down there too. Um, but, and there's Yoohoo. Everything's better with Yoohoo, so feel free to eat and drink. Um, but listen, I got to tell you this story because the other day I got into this new space and um, I was with Nate and Nate and I came up and um, our pastor introduced us and said, this is our youth pastor and the first thing that the person that we were in, getting introduced to said, they looked directly at Nate and were like, so nice to meet you. And I was like, youth pastor, stay at home dad. Like they just assumed that like that was how our household is and like we're totally opposite. So anyway. Um, but I was thinking about that and thinking about like, have you guys ever just when you're like out and about, have you ever felt like anybody's judged you or assumed things like just off of the one story that they know or that they have in your mind? Like, can you guys think of anything like that? Yeah, yeah tell me. I'm going first. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Don't well, tell us. I have, I don't think, I think so. Okay, well, I have a four-year-old sister, and um, she was born when I was 16, and I would go shopping with my mom and my sister, and you know, me, her name's Avery, me and Avery, we were really close, and she likes to hang out with me and stuff, so at the stores, I'd be like holding her or playing with her with, or whatever, and I would always get dirty looks from people, or people would have comments at me just like assuming that even though my mom was standing right there, that I was Avery's mom, and so like... A lot of, it was so frustrating to have people assume that like I became a teen mom and stuff like that or like say comments to me and I was like, no, she's just my sister. So there's that. I got that. Yeah. It's not good. No. Maybe you also have like a story of a time where like you just felt like somebody assumed something about you or judged you. Yeah. So there's this one time I was in uh, class at high school and I sat next to this guy. I knew, like I kind of knew him. He was a friend of a friend. And one day he heard me over talk, or overheard me talking to another friend of mine about church and how like I was at youth group one night and he realized that I was a Christian and he was a homosexual. And so he actually stopped talking to me because he figured since I was Christian, I would not like him because of his sexual preference. So that was pretty disheartening because I lost a friend over that. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Anybody else have like a time where you felt like you were judged or... Does somebody assume something about you? David, you've been volunteered. <laughs> um, well, hey guys. Um, I, I have tattoos, and a lot of times people think that, you know, I'm scary because of that. <laughs> and, but, but, I'm, but I'm actually a really nice guy. I actually thought you were scary, not for your tattoos, but for other reasons, but you are a nice guy. <laughs> Glad we've gotten to know each other. Oh. Bill? No, no. Rose, did you want to share something? Probably have time for one more, maybe? Yes, I do. Everybody loves Rose. So I was just going to say that I feel like my whole life is about being misunderstood. But, um, I don't know. I, I would say that there have been times where like people have been surprised by the way that I talk. Like I've gotten so many different comments like you sound like you're white or you're an Oreo or like wow I just didn't expect your vocabulary was so good since you're an immigrant. Like different things, like really strange comments like that. Not one particular story, but it's All just right. been a lifelong thing. Awesome. 
All right, well, I'm going to talk to our friends out here, but feel free to eat the food and hang out here. Um, you should try the iced coffee because it's good. Well, she came into my Starbucks, and she came in there every single day. Um, I didn't know her name. None of us did. None of us cared to know her name either because she was just really grouchy. Um, she showed up day after day. She was about 75 years old. She would come up to the counter, and she would order the same thing. Tall caramel frappuccino, extra caramel. If you got it wrong, she barked back at you and told you, so you were sure to make it right. She sat in the same exact seat, and if anybody was sitting there, she just graciously went and told them that it was her seat, and they would get up and move for her. Um, she wore this cowgirl-type hat, uh, which for Kansas City might seem normal, but for some reason she just stuck out to me. And I just assumed she was this grouchy lady that was just bitter at life. There's a lot of those people out there. I had met him in the ENC commuter lounge the second week of my big move to Quincy last April. Um, I had been talking with a pastor friend who was uh, visiting at ENC that week. And uh, this guy came and stumbled up and he asked us one of those really hard like God questions that... I looked at him and I was like, I have no idea what to tell you. And luckily my older pastor friend was there and kind of bailed me out. But within a few minutes, I was like, that guy has got some serious like past history. Like, I don't know how to deal with that. And I walked away as a pastor um, thinking, I hope I don't run into that guy again. Like, I don't wanna have to deal with that again or with that conversation again. Fast forward a few months um, into my life, it was August, I'm riding in the car with my husband, Nate. And I get my very first ENC roster for my class that I'm gonna be teaching, the youth ministry class. And there are five guys in it, that's it, and he's one of them. Um, I just assumed it was gonna be a long semester. I drove by them at least once a week. Usually when I was going to Sam's Club to pick stuff up for my family or for youth group, or when I just needed a Chick-fil-A like fix, which we don't have many of those here, so. Uh, I was there often, and I saw them on the corner. It was a man, it was a woman, and it was a baby, a small child. Um, they held a sign out asking for food, money, anything that you were willing to give them. They drove a minivan. I watched them routinely get into the minivan and drive off. They didn't really look homeless to me. They looked like they could be my neighbors, maybe across the street. Um, I made a ton of assumptions. I assumed they were scamming me and the rest of the world near Chick-fil-A. Um, I assumed they wanted money so they could go get the same milkshake that I loved. Uh, I assumed they wanted free stuff and didn't really ever think about why they were hurting or whether they really needed help. And the truth is, I'll never know what their story is because I failed to see past their single story. In a recent TED Talk, black novelist and speaker, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, talked about the danger of this very thing, making assumptions about each other based on the one story that we know. Adichie had grown up in Nigeria and she had grown up with well-educated parents, parents who um, had raised her to think that education was important and at the age of 18, she traveled to the States to attend an American university. Upon arrival, her American roommate had no idea how to handle her, this Nigerian, and so she just said and blurted out, how'd you learn English so well? To which Adichie replied, English is the official language in Nigeria. And so the roommate was really confused and she's like, well, can I listen to some of your tribal music? And Adichie was like, yeah, and pulls out a CD of Mariah Carey. <laughs> the roommate later on assumed that Adichie didn't know how to operate a stove or use like 
a dishwasher, a laundry, like any of that stuff because she believed in one single story she had heard about Africa over the years and that was the story that she based her assumptions on. Adichie says this about the consequence of the single story. It robs people of dignity. It makes our recognition of our equal humanity difficult. It emphasizes how we are different rather than how we are similar. It reduces people to just one thing based on a stereotype. It is what we do as people as we interact with somebody of a different culture, a different race, a person with a different political view, somebody who grew up in a different manner than we did, somebody who dresses different than us or comes from a different people group than us. It's what I did with the family outside of Sam's Club. It's what I did with the student on my roster. And it's what I did as I interacted with the woman at my Starbucks. The problem is the danger of a single story, it doesn't just rob people of their dignity, it also inhibits the unfolding of the kingdom of God right here on earth, which is what is needed. Jesus entered the world so that we would understand the depth and the love of God. And time and time again, he entered into places, into the full stories of the people that he came in contact with, seeing past the surface, seeing past this single story that had been told about their life, looking people in the eye and loving them in a way that brought value and restoration and dignity. Take Zacchaeus, for example. If I were to ask you today what you remember about Zacchaeus' story found in Luke chapter 19, which many of you have heard that story, you would probably remember he's what? A wee little man. Like they taught us that in Sunday school. A wee little man, a tax collector, a sinner. Oh, and bonus, he was hated by everybody. If that was the story that was being told about your life and that was it and that was all that anybody remembered about you, it would be a pretty tough life to live. But every day that was the story being told until Jesus shows up on the scene. And if you read that chapter, verse five says, Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was and he was hiding up in this you know, tree, maybe about this size. And he said, Zacchaeus, you have to come down. Like, I want to spend time with you. In fact, I wanna go to your house and have dinner with you. And Jesus didn't just do it with Zacchaeus. He did it with the adulterous woman. We read her story in John 8. You'll remember her story. She cheated. That was pretty much her story. She was a cheater. But Jesus, that day that he met her, stayed with her until no one else was there and stayed till the end to hear her story, to see her story, and to bring value and dignity to her life. And then there was the blind beggar. Um, you might remember his story and the chapter I read didn't even say a name for him. All anybody remembered him by was the fact that he had been begging his whole life. He had been blind since birth. Um, he had shown up at these temple gates day after day after day, begging people for money, and no one took notice of who he was until Jesus showed up. Jesus was passing by, and he saw the blind beggar, and he stooped down. He mixed some mud with some saliva, which that's pretty gross, but if it's gonna fix your eyesight, you know, it is what it is. Smacked some of that on the guy's eyes, got up real close to him, and brought sight and healing to him. Jesus, in those moments, chose to see past his single story and embrace the collective of the man's stories that had shaped him and made him to be the person he was. It was just what Jesus did. It was what he stood for. He was a man of compassion. He was a man who looked people in the eyes, who took time to get to know people, to hear their stories, and saw them as people of value, and then invited them into his world to watch the kingdom of God unfold. I wonder how many times we walk by each other on this very campus at Eastern Nazarene College 
or by the neighbors that some of us live next to, or the strangers in Dunkin' Donuts, or down the hallways of the dorms that we're sitting in and sleeping in, failing to engage in the whole story. How many times do we make assumptions like you've heard this morning or judgments just based on the one thing that you know about somebody? Maybe we make assumptions because somebody's a musician or an athlete. Maybe we make assumptions based off of race. Maybe we make assumptions because we heard some story about why some student is here at ENC and we don't agree with it and so we assume things. And we make our assumptions about people who don't share interests like us or people whose story we've heard one part of, and we continue to make assumptions. If you're like me, we do it every single day. This year, the theme that's been picked for chapel is praying and hoping for the kingdom. And if I'm honest, I'm not sure that if we can't see past the single story of each other's lives that we've come to know, it's gonna be really hard to watch God's kingdom unfold here on campus. He invites us to be part of the kingdom unfolding right here, right now, to bring mercy and grace to a hurting world. He calls us to be people of justice and people of peace. He challenges us to see with lenses from a different perspective. And if we're gonna pray for this kingdom to be ushered, which is what this has been about this season, then we have to learn to embrace all aspects of each other's stories. The truth is, it's not really easy. Um, I'm not even sure it's a task that we can do by ourselves, even those of you who might think you're incredibly strong. Human nature is to judge people. Human nature is to make assumptions. Look around our world and watch the hatred that's been bred. Scroll through social media and watch the comments that ensue after somebody posts something. Hang out with your friends in the dorm and begin to talk about somebody whose single story has been the only thing that's heard and watch what unfolds. We're people who struggle to see and to love as Jesus Christ loves because it takes a lot of work to do so. It takes us removing preconceived ideas. It takes us being honest and it's not always easy. Paul was a guy who got that. He understood the battle of this living with Christ versus wanting to do things on our own. And he talks about this in Galatians 5. Um, And I want to read to you some of that this morning, beginning with verse 13. He says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say live by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Paul's pretty point blank to say from the start that while we get to be free, like Jesus gave us freedom to make our own choices, to interact with people the way that we want to interact, he says don't abuse your freedom. Don't live as the rest of the world lives. Don't engage in the same stuff of banter and gossip and slander as the rest of the world. Just be people who love and serve each other. We get to make that decision of how we're going to interact with each other even here on campus, and Christ gives us that freedom. But the reality is 
if we choose differently with that freedom, if we keep eating each other up and just assuming things about one another and killing each other with our words and judging one another, we will literally destroy each other and we'll destroy this kingdom work that God is so about in our community. He then goes on to call us to live a life by the Spirit. And verse 17 says, there's conflict with that, right? We want to do that, but for some reason, we're just led to the wrong thing. It's why when I passed the family outside of Sam's Club, I didn't stop to ask them their names, and I made judgment week after week. It's why we struggle to get to know each other's stories. It's why we struggle with making judgments. It's why hatred is prevalent, is why racism is very real, and it's why the church continues to battle one another. There is really good news and there is hope that I want you to hear this morning that Paul talks about. There's a way to to love as Jesus loves, and it's through the Holy Spirit. And I want to read to you in Galatians 5, 22 through 26, the message version of what happens when the Holy Spirit takes control of our life. It says, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold on to it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in just our hearts, but we work out every implication in every detail of our lives. That means we won't compare ourselves with each other as though one were better and one were worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original So that's huge, and I want to talk to you that claim to be Jesus followers, which maybe is not everybody in this space, but those are some pretty high orders. If you choose life with Christ, because of that, we are called to live differently, to be led by the Spirit. And it's not enough to just think about it in our heads or to think about it in our hearts. We have to work it out into every single detail of our life, which means we constantly have to wake up and consciously Ask the Holy Spirit to work and move in our life to help us love people the way God sees them. To come in contact with every single person as a person of value, a person of worth, a person of dignity. We have to lay down our pride, our ideas, make the time, take up our blinders, and come to find out that our stories matter and that they're really not that different from each other. The woman's name was Mabel. So she was about three months into my encounter with her in Starbucks every day. Um, I decided to do something. I felt like the Holy Spirit was pressing on me, like, just do something for this lady. I didn't even know her name at the time. I was getting ready to go from Kansas City to Maryland for Christmas break for a couple weeks. So I decided to make her this basket filled, like, just junk in it, food. And she loved to read. She was always reading weird romance novels put a book in there, put a note in there, um, left, told the girls in my Starbucks, give it to the lady with with the hat that comes in all the time. Come back from break, and first day on the job, she comes up, and she marches up there like, you know, the grumpy cat that you guys look up on the internet sometimes. That's sort of what she looked like. She comes up to me, and she marches up, and she says, why'd you do that for me? And I didn't know what to say, and I was like, uh, I just wanted you to know I love you. Like, I think you have value. And this huge smile broke across her face. Mabel and I began that friendship that day. And what went from putting a basket on, you know, her table turned into me taking my Starbucks breaks at her table with her, which turned into me going out to breakfast with her once a month. Mabel, over the course of three years, became such a good friend to me. Um, And I found out a lot through sharing our stories 
For one, she was a lesbian who had had a partner for about 20 years she had lived with who had committed suicide and she had found her partner. She had grown up with an abusive father, um, hated men altogether. She cut all ties with her family. She resented God a lot. She was a very unhappy person. But I also came to learn, like, Mabel loved horses. Mabel loved wood burning. Mabel loved to be loved. And over the years, Mabel taught me more about life and more about entering people's stories than I could have asked for or imagined. She taught me what it meant to see past the single story. Over the last few years, we left, left, lost contact with each other, and I don't know, even know if she's alive. It's been about 10 or 12 years since we've seen each other. Um, but the impact that she's left on my life has been monumental. The student in my class was Chris Brooks. Um, some of you know him, and I asked him permission to share his story in chapel this morning, so you don't think I'm talking about him. That would defeat the purpose of all this. I quickly learned a few things about Chris when he came into my class. One, um, he had a lot to say every class session. Two, he loved Jesus, like, a lot. And three, he was an incredible encourager. Um, one day we were standing after class and Chris and I were talking and he said, I have to be honest with you. Um, I totally pegged you for like this conservative preacher woman, but you're pretty radical. And I was like, well, I don't know if I'd describe myself as radical, but I guess I'll take it. And I looked at him and I said, I have to be totally honest with you. I saw my class list and saw you on it and I was like, this is gonna be the worst semester ever. It's like, I didn't think that I could handle like your questions or your opinions. I said, but I was so totally wrong on that. That the church needs more people that are honest, who aren't afraid to speak their mind every once in a while and to tell their stories. Um, you are that person and you've encouraged me. Over the class sessions, Chris and I shared life stories um, about ways that we were brought up and things we had experienced. And um, we realized that our stories mattered and that we weren't really that different from one another. He continues to be a major cheerleader for my husband and I, um, and we are grateful for that. As far as the family at BJ's, um, I never saw past a single story. I just didn't. I watched them for weeks, I talked about them in my small group, and I never once stopped to ask them anything about their story, their names, their babies' names, never gave them anything. Um, when I finally decided I was gonna do something, said it's today is the day, I showed up, they were gone. I never saw them again. Um, I missed that opportunity. And I often wonder like, what were their names? What did they like to do? Did they like things at Chick-fil-A? Did they like to watch movies like me? Did they like to like hang out and get coffee like me? I often wonder if maybe somebody else who was a lot stronger and bigger than me stood in the gap and saw beyond the single story that was being told. I think that God wants to usher his kingdom into this place in particular at Eastern Nazarene College. I think he wants to see racial reconciliation in our world. I think he wants to see peace where there's fighting and restore dignity to those people that continue to get pushed to the margins and have been forgotten. But it's gonna take us getting outside of ourselves. It's gonna take us stepping back and seeing each other as the whole entire collective story and we cannot do that on our own. It will only be by the grace of God and by inviting the Holy Spirit into our life to say, I need you to help me see that way. 
Sometimes when I look at the hatred and judgment, and I know this weekend is gonna bring a lot of stuff with it, it's overwhelming to think like maybe we can't make a difference. As Christians, as Christ followers, maybe I can't make a difference in my dorm or on my team or in my home. And I think that's what the enemy wants us to believe. I believe that's what the enemy wants us to believe, that one conversation can't make a difference. This group up here is my Spaghetti Wednesday group, minus about five, because we couldn't fit them all around the table. Shout out to Bubba who tried to get a seat but couldn't. Um, They show up every night, every Wednesday night, at our house for spaghetti, which is pretty bad spaghetti, and it's never enough. They literally eat like a quarter cup of spaghetti. Um, When Nate and I moved here and we knew we were gonna be on campus, we decided we wanted to get to know college students. And so we started this Spaghetti Wednesday. Um, And we invite them into our home for like a half an hour, 45 minutes. They're usually running from one place and going to another um, to just hang out and to do life together. I actually don't know them that well. And the truth is, I really was scared of David. So inviting him into my house, you know, he plays with my kid every Wednesday. We came into that space. (laughs) I know, that might be another sermon for another day. (laughs) We came into that space, all of us around the table, my son included, who's four, who you guys have met, really not knowing a lot about each other. And I still don't know a lot about these guys. We are totally different from age to race to where we've grown up to passions to even the way that we like to make our spaghetti. But each week we come together hoping that maybe we can hear the collectives of our stories in a way that somehow it will change things and help usher into the kingdom, the kingdom of God into this place. Maybe walking with the Spirit looks like you having dinner with somebody that you don't know. Maybe it looks like you going up to that athlete that's on your floor or that musician who you don't think you have anything in common with and going out for sushi with them, which there is no half-price sushi. Sad day for that. Maybe it looks like bringing encouragement to the Dunkin' Donut worker or um, just taking time to see past the single story. It is what Jesus did every single day and is what he calls us to do in this, on this campus, in our community, and around the world. He did it when he invited Zacchaeus in. He did it when he stood by the adulterous woman until the end, and he did it with a blind beggar when he got eye to eye, face to face with him. We collectively represent a whole lot of stories. And this morning, I wanna give you a chance to share some of your stories in closing. You'll probably notice on your seat somewhere there's a tag. Um, They look like a little manila tag or maybe at the end of your row. Just a small tag. And this is what I want you to think about this morning. So we got this fantastic tree which was stolen from ENC campus. That's pretty sweet. That my husband put lights on. If somebody were to ask you what is your single story, so what is the one thing that people just assume about you, you would probably say you don't love that. I want you to write on this tag this morning. I want you to first put your name, and then I want you to write on there, what would be some of the things that you wish people knew about you? That maybe like people who haven't gotten to know you would come to find out if you were to write it on here. And I'm gonna ask you this morning as you think about that, I'm gonna invite you as the worship team comes and the worship team can come up and lead us, I'm just gonna invite you, and I hope that you'll do it, to hang this on this awesome tree as a collective of our stories this morning. And here's the final thing I'm gonna ask of you.
you don't have enough guts to walk up and like put it up there or the timing's not right, you can put it up at the end of chapel. But I would invite some of you just to come to say, as you hang this on the tree this morning, not just a symbol of like, this is what represents me, but also to say like, I'm gonna start to see past people's single stories here on campus, starting here. I'm not gonna make assumptions, I'm not gonna make judgments, but I'm gonna enter into people's worlds to really get to know who they are and to love the way that Jesus loved. Um, let me pray for you, and as the worship team comes and sings, you're invited to bring those forward and just hang them where you found a spot. Let's pray together. Jesus, you, uh, wow, you blow our minds because you see our collective stories and you totally still love us. And you see when we screw up and you see every day the eyes that we see through that are often eyes of judgment, condemnation, eyes of assumption. And Jesus, you know this room, like we, re we, we represent a lot of different stories, a lot of different opinions, a lot of different ways of life, a lot of different spiritual journeys or homes we came from. And I ask that in these moments as we close out that you would just break through and you would begin to help this campus to see past the single story that's been told about our classmates, about strangers, about people around our world, and that we would love in the manner that you love. We thank you for who you are and for what you do in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.